So let's turn to the word here. We're starting a new series today, finally. We had to postpone it a couple weeks, just circumstances coming up, things going on, so we had to kind of push it back a little bit. So uh, today we finally get to our study uh, in the Song of Solomon called uh, God Loves Sex. And uh, so we're going to be studying that book over the next six weeks, uh, Song of Solomon. Now, don't, don't freak out right away because you may look at your Bible and say, whoa, I don't have that. What the, what's the deal? I don't have that in my Bible. Well, you really do, but it may be under a different name. There's two names that this book is commonly known by. One is Song of Solomon, because guess who wrote it? That would be Solomon, right? Sure. So it's called Song of Solomon, because it's a song that Solomon wrote. It's also sometimes called Song of Songs, because it is like the best thing he wrote, right? I mean, it's like top hit, number one, off the charts, best song Solomon ever wrote, okay? So if you look in your Bibles, it's going to be one of those two things. It's either going to be Song of Solomon or uh, Song of Songs. Let me show you, if you got your Bibles, the easy way to find it, okay? Here you go. All you do is just take your Bible, put it like that, and then just split your Bible in half, and you should end up somewhere in Psalms, Proverbs, somewhere in there, okay? I ended up at Proverbs 29. If you just uh, flip your way back and go past Ecclesiastes, you will find Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, okay? So if you, you brought your Bibles, try that out real quick and get to that place, because that's where we're going to spend uh, all of our time, okay? Or you can just grab your handout and uh, follow along uh, in the handout. When you get there, though, when you start reading this uh, book of the Bible, you discover a couple things. Number one is it's a song. That is, it is all written in poetic language. It's like a musical. And the musical describes the relationship between Solomon and a Shulamite woman who becomes his wife. And that really is the content of the book. It's, it's a book of wisdom that is given to us to understand the foundations of relationships as God has designed them. And God gives us this wisdom through this book by looking at the relationship and the maturing of this relationship and the struggles eventually of this relationship as we look at Solomon and this Shulamite woman. Now, some of you may sit here this morning and say, oh, well, hey, uh, not married, don't want to be married, not interested in being married, maybe you're a widow, you know, whatever's, and you're just saying, you know what, uh, I guess I can check out for the next six weeks, right? No, can't do that, okay? Here's why. Because in the Song of Songs, in the Song of Solomon, there is also a third group of people. There are friends. There's Solomon, there is the Shulamite woman, and there is a group of friends. And these friends appear periodically in the book, and they appear at times when they give, they give witness or they give counsel to one or the other. Okay? They give witness or counsel. What does it mean? Well, the reality is that even if we may not be married or attend to be married, the reality for us is marriages of others affect us. Right? You've got friends who are probably married. You, you've got children who are probably married. And those marriages have a direct impact into your life, even though you may not be in that same place. 
And so like with the friends in the book of Solomon, the, the Song of Songs, that like those friends, the reality for us is marriage impacts all of us. And so this book is really for uh, all of us. And what we'll discover as we get into the book, it really is just this book of, of wisdom. Okay, And that shouldn't surprise us because it was written by Solomon, right? Solomon. Who the heck was Solomon? Do you remember? Solomon was the second child born to David and Bathsheba. Remember? He was the second child born to David and Bathsheba. He is also the one who succeeded David as king of Israel. As king of Israel, Solomon is the one who built the temple. David dreamed about it. Solomon actually accomplished it. And what is Solomon most known for? He is most known for his wisdom. Thank you. You got it. You win. The other service, they didn't have the same number of people who knew that. Good job. Yeah. Wisdom. He's known for his wisdom, right? And it's like this was his rep. He was known for wisdom. He, he asked God for one thing, right? And what he asked for was wisdom, right? And God gave it to him. And so what we've got in the book is this wisdom that comes to us in this beautiful poetic language, right? But it, it comes to us in examining and looking at the experience of King Solomon, this Shulamite woman, and then these friends are engaged periodically. Now, before we get into the book, I need to give you one disclaimer. This is a book that was written for mature people, okay? And so it's the experience of lovers. And so the language in the book is language of lovers. And so it is mature, erotic language. That means if you have young people and you think, Maybe they shouldn't be hearing this stuff. Now is the time, if you haven't already, to go ahead and take them to our kids' camp program and let them enjoy a great day in kids' camp rather than being in here. It's up to you, parents, what you want to do. Just know we're going to be going into the Word. And this Word uh, has some adult-like language. In fact, for the Jewish culture, when the, when the book was, was first out there and in Jewish culture, men were not allowed to read this book until the age of 30. Okay? So it was like PG-30. Okay? PG-30. Right? Women, no way you could read it at all. Okay? Women weren't allowed to read it at all because you never knew what happened if they read that. See? So, okay? So this is hot stuff. Just warning you. All right? Well, why is it important that we do this? The reason that we're doing this, set, this series, God, Love, and Sex, is because it is all over our culture. It is all over our culture. And if you look at our culture, it's not hard to see that people in our culture, when they get into these attraction relationships, they're getting into attraction relationships, and they're forgetting to follow God's design and do the work of his design. And what are they doing instead? They're getting into attractive attraction relationships, skipping the work and going right to intimacy. And you see it on TV all the time, right? They meet, they're attracted, and what happens? Intimacy. What's the result? Well, we know in our culture that 50% of all marriages end up in divorce. 
50%. And we Christians look at that, and, and potentially we say, oh, well, well, that's the world, you know, that's the world. I mean, after all, we got Christ. <laughs> well, guess what the percentage is within Christians who get married? Yeah, that would be 50%. Surprise? This is why we got to talk about it. Because even we Christians are ignoring the wisdom of what Scripture has to say about how we follow these and mature these relationships, how we follow God's design and we mature these relationships. And instead, what's happening to us is we're going right from attraction to sexual intimacy. And, and it's even happening in our marriages. We have it happening in our marriages where... Where in our marriages, things maybe are getting dull. Things aren't as exciting as the Book of Solomon is, right? And, and so what happens? Somebody comes into our life, and we get that attraction thing going. And all of a sudden, our attention goes away from our spouse, and our attraction goes to somebody else. And the next thing you know, that attraction leads us from attraction to having an affair. And then our marriage is torn apart. And we wonder what happened. Well, it's because we're not working through and thinking about the design that God has for us. Instead, what's happening in our culture and in some of these marriages is instead we're looking at attraction and we're following our feelings. We get attracted and we follow our feelings. Now, what you need to know is if you go right into the Song of Solomon right away here, and let's just get to the book itself, okay? If you go right into the Song of Solomon... You'll see right away in verse 1, and I didn't put it up on the screen. I did, actually, but it's not coming up for us. Uh, up on the screen, if you look at the beginning of the book, you can see right away that Solomon and this Shulamite woman have attraction for each other. It talks about your kisses are more wonderful than this, that. And, man, this attraction thing is happening right away. But right after the attraction, they do something different. They don't go from attraction to sexual intimacy. They do something different. And so right away, you go to verse number three, and you can see in their relationship, some principles start taking place. Okay? You look at verse three, and this is the Shulamite woman saying, Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. All right, what's that all about? Okay, well, in those days, you know, even in Solomon's uh, wonderful palace, you couldn't just go over and turn on the faucet and take a shower, okay? You didn't get your daily shower in. And you may not shower for several days or weeks, right? So if you don't shower for several days or weeks, what begins to develop? It's called B.O., right? We can call that in church, right? B.O., you get body odor happening, right? So what do you do then? Well, what they did was they took purified oils, and they, they took the oils, and they purified them and purified them, and they created these fragrances out of these oils, and they would just lather themselves up in the oils, right? And so instead of having the body odor, there would be this better-smelling fragrance. And that's what she's talking about in the beginning. She's saying, oh, boy, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Translation? Oh, man, you smell good. That's what she's saying, right? Oh, you smell good. So attraction is happening, right? 
Attraction is happening. But look what she does next. This, don't miss it. Look what she does next. From attraction, her very next step, she says, your name is like perfume poured out. Your name, what's she talking about? She goes right from attraction to asking the question, but what is his character? I mean, I know he smells good, but what's his character? Right? And, and the word that's behind that, that, that word there, is called krosos. And it's the word that describes the tool that, that the, 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 uh, the tradesman would use to do etching. Okay? The tool, you know, that you'd use to etch something, like etching silver or something like that. And, and so it's that tool that etches. And so the real question she's asking is, listen, what's etched into you? What's at your core? What is etched into you? She's looking at the more important question of what is this man's character. You see, that's the first step. You, you may feel the, the feelings. You may get the attraction going. But you've got to go from attraction and start asking deeper, more significant questions about this person. Like, what is their character? What is etched into them? Because once something's etched in, it doesn't just change, right? It's, it's etched in. It doesn't just change. So, so if this person is a person that's prone to lie about things, and, and you end up developing a marriage relationship, what can you expect in your marriage? Not truthfulness all the time, right? Because it's etched in. So you've got to be careful, and the first thing you've got to do is ask the question, so what's etched into this person? What is their character like? Because character counts. Now, to do that, you can't just sit down with somebody and say, you know, I'm going to ask some important questions of you. Tell me about your character. You know, are you moral? Are you faithful? Are you honest? Right? You can't just ask because they're going to always tell you what? Oh, yeah, I'm a good guy. Right? Because whenever attraction gets going, what happens? Well, we always put on our best. Right? Attraction gets going and we're like, Whoa, I want to impress this person. And we put on our best, right? If you want to find out about somebody's character, don't ask them. Look at the people they hang out with. Look at their friends. Look at the folks they hang out with. What are those people like? Because the principle is like attracts like. So if they hang out with people who don't have good character beware. Watch out. See, the Shulamite woman, right away, she's attracted to Solomon, but then she asks the next question. What is, his, what is his character like? And she ends up saying, no wonder the maidens love you. She says, listen, what's really attractive in a man is good character. Did you hear that, guys? What's really attractive in a man is not just looking good on the outside. What's more important is what is the character? Now, Solomon knew this wisdom applies to both genders, right? We get it in Proverbs 12, Solomon's wisdom as well, where he writes, a wife of noble, what? Character, there it is, right? Is her husband's crown. But a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. Is that pretty clear? All of that tells us what? Character counts. It counts. So when this attraction thing starts happening, 
the next step is to ask deeper questions. The first question is, what's their character? What is etched into them? Because what's etched into them is what's going to be with you for the long haul. Now, the next step they take is the woman then begins to put herself out there and she begins to build godly trust. She starts constructing godly trust. How does she do this? Well, you see in the text what she does is she puts herself out there and she starts to become vulnerable to Solomon. She starts entering into an intimacy with him. Not that intimacy, right? She doesn't go right to sexual intimacy. Instead, she goes into an emotional intimacy with him to find out, look, okay, he may have good character. Looks like he's got good character, but can I trust this guy? Can I trust him? Here's how she does it. Dark am I, yet lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I have neglected. All right, so what's that all about? You ready? See, this is why you need me. These are good days for me. It's like, you need me for this stuff, right? Okay, this is good. Okay, so what's she talking about? Okay, in that culture, they didn't go to tanning booths. Okay, so... It wasn't like beautiful in that culture to be tanned, right? And that's what she's talking about. She's dark. That was not beautiful, right? The women were always covered. Why were they always covered? Not only to avoid the whole intimacy thing, but they were covered because beautiful in that culture was light and pure skin. That's what was beautiful. That was what's considered beautiful. Light and pure skin. So what is she saying? Well, she's revealing an insecurity she has about herself. She's looking at herself and she says, listen, you need to know this about me. I don't think I'm very pretty. Listen, here's why. Because my brothers made me go out and work in the vineyard. Well, you learned something else about her. She wasn't somebody that just worked in the house like most women did. She had to go out and labor, hard labor, out in the vineyard. And because she was outside working in the vineyard, she neglected her vineyard, that is, she neglected her skin, her beauty, and instead, her skin is dark and worn and weathered. And she looks at herself and says, I'm not beautiful. Whoa. That's getting pretty intimate, isn't it? She just went to a pretty good level there, right? She just laid herself wide open to this guy and said, you need to know this about me. Her question is now, can I trust him? Can I trust him? That's what you do, you see? You figure out their character. You ask character questions. And if you feel okay about that, you go to a next level and you say, now listen, can, can we trust each other really? And, and the only way I can find out is to risk and lay myself out there, right? And, and that's exactly what she does. Now, how can she do this? Here's how she can do it. As she lays herself out there and puts herself at risk for trust, she builds boundaries. She declares a boundary in the relationship. Okay, Here's where it is, 1-7. It's her talking to Solomon again. She says, tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock 
and where you rest your sheep at midday. So she wants to be with him, right? Tell me, tell me where you are. Tell me what you're doing to your day. I, wa- I want to be with you. But then she sets a boundary. This is really important. You got it? Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? All right, unpack it. Who would be a veiled woman who would hang out by the shepherds? You know the answer. A veiled woman would be a woman who would give up her body in exchange for money or sheep or anything of value. What are we talking about? Somebody who would give up themselves sexually for a price. We call those prostitutes. So she's saying, listen, that's not me. You, 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 you have to understand, I want to be with you wherever you graze your flock. I want to be with you, but why should I? That's not me. Even though I want to be with you, there's a boundary here. Why should I? I don't do that. I am not like every other woman who just goes ahead and gives themselves freely in sexual intimacy. I don't do that. That's a boundary. Solomon, if you want me, you got to understand it. I just don't go there. That's not the way I am. And so she sets a very clear boundary in their relationship and says, listen, I, I think you got good character. I'll go deeper. I'm going to lay myself out there and see if I can trust you. But you need to know there are boundaries in our relationship. And I'm just not going there. She just sets a boundary. What does it tell us? Well, there's a wisdom here, isn't there? Especially in our culture today that goes again, what? From attraction to sexual intimacy. She says, no, that, no, that's not how it works. That's not what you do. You got to do character and you got to construct trust, right? And, and in the meantime, you set the boundaries to your relationship and you say, this is who I am. Take it or leave it. This is who I am. If you want me, this is the way it is, right? There are at least three boundaries and you can make more. This is an all-inclusive that you must build into your relationship as you're maturing a relationship. One is you got to just build in a boundary that says IK-135. No, that says my relationship with God is not negotiable. Felt like I need to wake you up there. That my relationship with God is not negotiable. So you got to make sure you set a boundary and let that other person know, listen, Christ is first in my life. Even if we get married, Christ is first in my life. And you need to just deal with that. Right? And if you're coming into my life and you try to influence me away from Christ, that's a non-starter. Our relationship is going nowhere. So if you come into my life and you say, hey, why are you reading your Bible every day? Or why do you need to go to that small group every week? Why don't, why don't you spend the time with me? You know, we can have a lot of fun if you weren't going to that small group every week. Or, gosh, you go to church every Sunday. Do you have to go to church every Sunday? I mean, we could have a lot of fun on Sunday morning. There's lots of places to go and see. You see, you've got to set a boundary that says, listen, if you're going to try to take me away from my relationship with Christ, our relationship is going nowhere. Because that's where life is, right? Life is in Christ. Or you've got to be able to say, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in this relationship but God's standards are what guide me in this relationship. I'm going to remain there. So character is important. My character is important. 
So I'm going to be honest and I'm going to be trustworthy. I'm, go I'm going to you know, live according to the standards that Jesus Christ set for me. I'm going to live according to the love that he set for me. And I'm going to live my way in, a, in my life in a way that keeps purity in my life. I'm not going to violate that. I'm going to stay pure. And you just deal with it. That's the way it is. If you want me, then that's one of the boundaries. I'm going to stay pure. And the last one, a wedding covenant comes first. What's that mean? Well, obvious, right? It says, listen, if we're going to move to marriage, we're going to move to marriage, and then that's when we live together. And that's when we join intimacy together. So not beforehand. We don't live together beforehand. We don't have sexual intimacy beforehand. You just got to understand that. That's a boundary for me. Because I understand that's the design God has, and that's the way I'm going to live my life. And so you set those boundaries, just like the Shulamite woman. It says, listen, other women, they may chase after a guy. Other women, they may chase after him like the prostitutes, and give, but not me. I'm not like them. I'm different, and I follow Christ. Now, I know that's a hard word. I know that. And I know that there's some in the room today who just aren't there in some relationships you have right now. What I want to tell you is you can get there by the grace and the forgiveness of God, a God who loves you so incredibly and so immensely that he would give up his only son so that you could have a full and abundant life in all of your relationships. If you're not in that place, he can get you to that place if you just surrender it to him. He can forgive you, renew you, strengthen you, and he can get you into that place. And there is no better place to be. When you build these foundations for your relationship, you are developing a relationship that will last the test of time in this world. And so, set those boundaries. So what is, what's happening? We start out with just uh, checking out the character, what's etched in. We go to building trust. We reveal some intimate things about ourselves. We start building trust with one another. As we're doing that, we do that in the confines of boundaries. Now, here's what's cool. You ready? Here's what happens next. Do you remember what she intimate things she shared with him? She said she didn't feel beautiful about herself because she was dark. Remember? Okay, remember that. Here is how Solomon responds to her. Okay? After the boundaries are set, here's how he responds to her. He says, I liken you, my darling, to a mare harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. And all the women go, oh, oh, that's so beautiful. Oh, my gosh, that's so incredible. Right? Maybe not so much. He just called me a horse. Right? Okay, you got to get this. This is like really good stuff, people. I mean, this is like, whoa, what a guy. What a guy. You ready? Here's how it works. Okay, here's how it works. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, declared himself to be a god. Okay? He said he was a deity, that he was a god. And so everything that, that he owned was a reflection of his being godlike. And so for his chariot, he had not only an incredible chariot, but he had a set of horses and those horses were perfect, pure, and white. Did you hear that? They were perfect, pure, and white. 
What did she say she was feeling about herself? That she was not beautiful because she was dark. What did he just say to her? Oh my gosh. In my eyes, you are beautiful, you are pure, and you are an incredible gift of God. You are beautiful, and you are pure, and you are the most awesome gift I could imagine. Ladies, does that feel a little different? That feels pretty dang good, doesn't it? Absolutely, that is pretty dang awesome. He's coming back at her with admiration and with affirmation and with affection. And he's saying, oh, you don't understand. I think you're beautiful. I think you're such an incredible gift of God, right? And then look how she, uh, how, uh, she responds. She responds to him and says, while the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My lover is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. And all the guys said, I want to be one of those. Right? <laughs> totally. I want to be one of those. Well, you can. This is the deal. What is she saying? Listen, he just affirmed her. He just admired her, right? He just showed character and he showed trust. And he said, oh my gosh, you are beautiful. You are the most incredible gift of God. And what did she respond? Oh my gosh, you, I carry you next to my heart every day and you are your memory, your presence with me is like a fragrant perfume. I don't know about you. I want to be there. Guys, I mean, I want to be there, don't you? Call me a sachet, man. I want to be there. Right? Don't you want your wife to feel that about you? You see, here's the question. Couples, you ready for this? Look at what they say to each other next. You ready? She says... Uh, or he says, how beautiful you are, oh, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are like doves. Uh, she says, how handsome you are, my lover. Couples, when's the last time you talked like that to one another? When's the last time you said that kind of affirmation? When's the last time you said that kind of admiration? You see, that's, that's what makes it work. That's part of the design. And, and we see the outcome. The outcome is she feels special. The outcome is uh, she feels secure. And their relationship deepens. They follow those steps from attraction to character. They follow those steps to build and construct that trust. They follow those steps inside those boundaries. They follow those steps of affirmation and admiration. And when it's done, they've got a relationship a relationship that's special and a relationship that's built on security and a relationship that's ready to be full. Guess when that happens? Next week. Next week we move forward and we see how they deepen that relationship even further. If you're not in that place, I want you to hear today, take the wisdom, take the wisdom that God is great enough, God is loving you enough he can get you to that place. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the incredible wisdom. Thank you for the love you have for us. Thank you. 
that you uh, want to do.